For the past 18 months, I spent the better part of every day working to figure out one thing. What did Jeff Boot see in the last 15 seconds of his life? The steel arc of the sky? The ground rushing up to meet him? Did he close his eyes as he fell? Did he, perhaps, see the face of the person who pushed him? I am so high up. This is... We are higher than Eagle Pussy. Jesus Christ. On February 14th, 2016, a 34-year-old man named Jeff Boot went missing, although his absence wasn't reported for two days. After a week-long search that some found strangely... casual, his body was found at the bottom of a concrete culvert. He'd fallen though many believed he was pushed, over 50 feet to his death, the fall causing his head to come open and his brain to come out. Although, according to the coroner, the brain was still attached to his body by some kind of tube. The coroner, of course, knew the right word for the tube, but when I googled tube name, it basically explained it was a regular-style body-to-brain tube, one of several according to the diagram. But obfuscation of standard body tube name behind scientific Latinate-type terminology is a gate that must come down. So suffice it to say, his brain slid out after his head came open and would have slid farther still were it not for the restraining effects of the tube. His passing was ruled a death by misadventure, and it seemed he was forgotten about in the way all dead people who aren't famous or murdered by someone famous are forgotten about. Jeff, though I didn't know him in life, seemed like an ordinary enough guy. He was a professional, in-demand working actor plying a very specific and lucrative niche. He exclusively played a coureur de bois, a runner of the woods or voyageur, a 17th century French-Canadian fur hauler named Martin Grosquy. You know the drill. Slouchy wool toque, suspenders over a flannel shirt, big curly mustache, singing some stupid French song as they paddled from Soussonneuse to Ganon ta Hongnon. À la santé de son père et sa mère, à la santé de son père et sa mère, à la santé de lui que son cœur aime. C'est l'aviron qui nous mène, qui nous mène, c'est l'aviron qui nous mène en haut. You may have seen him in the Canadian Heritage Minutes, Wolf Ate Baby, or Voyageur Loses Leg Punching Train. On that day, however, he was scheduled to paddle a faux canoe through a crepe paper river in the window of the Hudson's Bay Company's flagship Queen Street store in Toronto, part of their Love in All Shapes in All Ages advertising campaign. He never showed up. Hello? 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 Hi, Professor Mark. It's oh, just, whoop. uh... Can you it's see me? Just, well, uh, oh, oh, hold uh, on, hold on. I'm just gonna click. Uh, sorry, I gotta click the thing. It's just a fucking black square. I'd managed to connect with a professor of voyageur studies at Trois Rivières Technical College, Professor Bergeron Manquet. He'd agreed to speak with me about Les Coureurs to help me get a better picture of Jeff. So, um, first of all, the songs. Why did uh, Les Voyageurs sing as they? Oh, battled? really? Because they were just huge, huge losers. 
They basically love to do two things, sing stupid asshole songs and have, uh, you know, the nutburster parties. Could you tell me about the nutburster parties? Uh, sure, of course. Basically, they had nothing to do except battle furs around, you know, singing these stupid songs and portaging. Do you know portaging? I've heard of it, but what, you know, okay, so basic, what is it? Okay, so basically they had canoes and they'd go on lakes, right? right. And if they wanted okay. to go to another lake to go bother some other people, they'd have to portage, which is where you carry your canoe and all that fucking shit with you through a fucking forest or whatever. Okay. Makes sense. So these dickheads would brag all the time basically about who was the strongest and who could catch the most fur and who had the biggest muscle you know they'd go back and forth like this showing off until they got a hernia and their asshole shot into their nut bag or whatever the fuck and whoever did it the hardest won uh, basically that uh, that that sounds awful what? I mean, they didn't have surgeons in the forest. They were right, really, back then. really stupid. They died all the time. We have contemporaneous Algonquin accounts of basically you could sit on a quiet night and listen and the voyagers would be like partying and it sounded like, I guess, stepping on bubble wrap, the distant sounds of their intestines bursting into their nuts. Just really, really stupid people. Okay, uh, but, you know, moving away from how stupid they were for oh, just a okay. second, uh -huh. do you know why a man in the 21st century would devote his life to playing a voyager? I mean, Jeff Boot was handsome, and by all accounts he was, I mean, really talented. So why, why only play a voyager, I guess, is my question. I fucking... Don't know, maybe he was a stupid On that Valentine's Day in 2016, it was Jeff slash Martin's lover-to-be, Maurice, who reported him missing. We haven't been able to locate the actor playing Maurice, Steve Cube, but according to internal Hudson's Bay Company documents, he reported Jeff missing to management at 9.45 a.m. Further, he seemed happy enough with this development, as he was offered his rate plus half to sit in the faux canoe waving to shoppers and pounding off under a beaver pelt. Do you remember that? It was Valentine's Day. We were shopping near the Eaton Center, and there was a voyager waving in the window and jerking off under a fur blanket. No. Really? No, I mean, I know it's important to you, but I don't remember. Whatever. It's fine. I would remember. I would remember something No, like it doesn't that. matter. I don't care. So what are you doing for work these days? My ex-wife doesn't remember, but I do. I remember, I remember thinking, seeing that handsome French man, uprooted and pounding off, plucked from sex fur history and deposited in a window. How beautiful he was. And how lonely. How lovely he seemed and how happy. There, in the wild, pounding it, smiling and waving, switching hands and that the bay was right, that love did come in all sizes, in all ages, this voyageur, nuts intact, pounding off. But wasn't there someone missing? Someone to help him steer his canoe while he pounded? 
As it turns out, I was right. And the more I learned about the death of Jeff Boot, the more I came to believe that his death wasn't as simple as everyone believed. In fact, I came to be certain that he didn't trip and tumble over that edge. He was pushed. And if no one else was interested in finding out who did it and why, it was up to me. My name is Mike Collingwood, and you're listening to Who Killed Jeff Boot, a bi-monthly podcast chronicling my attempts to solve a mysterious death. I'm not an investigator by training, but something about this man's lonely death connected with me, and I decided to do something about it. 18 months ago, I quit my job and devoted myself to answering the question that no one else could answer. Who killed Jeff Boot? That's the thing, kid. If you ain't getting the right answers, you ain't asking the right questions. Now check this shit out. Holy shit! That's Phineas Sharp from the Sharp Detective series of films. I found myself turning to them often over the course of my investigation. And as it turns out, Phineas had some sharp advice. Maybe I wasn't asking the right questions. I couldn't just walk around asking, Who killed Jeff Booth? Do you know do you know who killed Jeff Boot? Excuse me. Do you know who Jeff who killed Jeff Boot? No one knows, except for the person that pushed him. And even if I inadvertently asked them, they would probably play dumb. Playing dumb, are we? Hey kid, let's smart this fella up a touch. Jesus Christ! So, I had to ask better questions. What did Jeff Boot see in the last 15 seconds of his life? And more importantly, was that the right amount of time to wonder about? How long did it take him to fall from the edge of that culvert? If it was more than 15 seconds, I was asking the wrong question. I needed a time frame that included the fall and some time at the top of the cliff with the killer. Maybe it should be 20 or 30. But if it took a small amount of time for him to fall, say, 7 seconds, then asking about 20 or 30 would be too big, too greedy. If it took seven seconds, then there would be eight seconds left over, 15 minusing seven, leaving eight, which would be a good buffer, seconds-wise, in which he could have seen his killer's face. So 15 seconds was my assumed hypothetically appropriate question time deathfall frame. But Phineas Sharp doesn't operate on assumptions. That gets you six slugs, two bourbon, three lead, and then a punch slug. After the guy shot you, he hits you, just to make you feel like real dog shit. Which is what took me to the top of that culvert. Okay, Jesus. Lord am I. Okay, just, so I'm here, up here near the edge of the culvert where, four years ago, somebody pushed Jeff Boot to his death. There's no one here, just me, so no one's going to push me. I just have to get closer to the edge. Here. Jesus, holy fucking ass. Okay, so I've got a, you can't see this, I've got a basketball. And what I've done is there's phones taped all over the ball. And I'm gonna start timers on all of them. And then I'm gonna drop a ball over the edge. And when it lands, it'll stop the timer. And we'll know how long it takes something to fall from all the way up here. Okay, starting the timers. 
Okay, three, two, one, and drop. I have to admit, at that moment, watching that ball explode right where Jeff Boot had landed, I shivered at the violent parallel. But I was also super pissed off. That basketball had cost me $40. One could logically expect a basketball to survive a plunge like that, was my thinking, whereas, sure, Jeff Boot's head would crack open and his brain slide out. But basketballs are designed for repeated impact. Tomahawk slams, even. So I went to the store where I'd bought it. Hi, can I help you? Hey, how are, hi, how are you? I was, um, I was on a high up cliff. I'm great. Oh, so, sorry, I shouldn't, that's, I shouldn't ask you a question and then immediately begin talking. That's such a dude move, sorry. I'm recording this conversation, by the way, for my murder uh, podcast. No problem, what can I do for you? So, I think, not your fault, but I think I bought some defective merchandise. You were on a cliff? Yeah, I mean, uh, this basketball, this used to be a basketball, and it blew up. You dropped a basketball off a cliff, and it blew up, and you want your money back. No, I I was on a cliff, just looking around, and some guys I had the basketball, and some guys saw me, and they were like, yo, what's up? What's up? Come play basketball with us. And I was like, yo, what's that sounds good. And they were like, pass the ball from up there. And I was like, no, yo, that would be irresponsible. Hold up and let me hike down. So I went down and played regular basketball and the ball exploded. And you want your money back. Yes. I'm sorry, this, we can't help you with this. You're going to need to take it up with the manufacturer. All right, I mean, it was regular. I mean, it was kind of street ball. I think, I threw, I mean, I threw it down slang. I mean, I dunked, like a baby dunk. I got ups, but I'm a gentle baller, uh, baby. And not a throwdown machine. I'm tender and... Don't. What do you mean? I can't help you. You need to take it up with the manufacturer. But please, I'm warning you, don't. Are you giving me a clue? What? And there I had it, my first clue, printed on the side of an exploded basketball. Thompson Basketball Manufactory Limited. It wasn't much to go on, but it was something. I decided to do what Phineas Sharp always did, ask around, beat the bushes. I needed to find some street ballers. Yo, what's up? Hey, man. What's up? What's up? You hoop? You a street baller? Pardon? You a, you a hooper? <laughs> By basketball? Yeah. Uh, those are my friends. I'm just taking a break. Word. My basketball. Exploded. Oh, really? That's fucked up. Did your basketball explode? This one? Yeah. Nope. Still a basketball. Who made it? Man. What? That a Thompson? We hooping Thompson? You Thompson ball? You Thompson balling? I don't know. It's cool. 
Can I see it? No, I'm gonna hold on. Yo, I'm open. Pass me the rock. What the fuck are you talking about? Shh. Shh. We cool. Alright. I'm a, I'm a bounce. My initial investigations were frustratingly slow. Thompson Basketball Manufactory didn't have much of a web presence beyond a 404 error and a mention in an official Office of Health and Safety investigation from 2018. But as it turns out, that was enough. Because it gave me an address. So this, I think, is it. I'm just turning into the road here. It's two in the afternoon on a Wednesday. I figure I don't really know when downtime is at a basketball factory, but two o'clock or, okay. This place doesn't, uh, look too cool. It's easier now, having had time to process, for me to describe what I found when I found Thompson Basketball Manufactory. It stood, improbable, a carbon black silhouette the lone jagged tooth in a cancered, ruined jaw of empty industrial death. The full heat of the afternoon sun revealed no detail of its facade, merely shifting geometric planes of black and darker black that my brain tried and failed to correspond to door, window, awning, or sign. I looked in my rearview mirror, I remember. It seemed that I had crossed through at some point just previous, or perhaps even earlier. It was unknowable through some imperceptible membrane separating two possibles. The possible I'd known, and the new, violent possible I'd stumbled into, the monstrous looming death I'd found myself parked across from. Black smoke chugged from a smokestack on what had to be the factory's roof. My mind seized on that detail and insisted on its normalcy, not having caught up yet to the actuality of my transference through whatever invisible scrim had previously separated things like this from me. They must be burning basketball scraps, I remember thinking. The air, as hot and rotten as it was, seemingly already full to bursting with atomized dread and carbonized basketball, ready to rain misery the moment a breath puffed dust enough up to seed its foul accretion, was layered over more. Impossibly. By sounds so jarring that I had to rally what few functional thought processes remained available to me to discern them. Men screaming. Men laughing and dying, vomiting. Men eating each other. Basketballs exploding. I remember rolling down my window. And as if I had cast a conjuration spell, from nothing rose a man walking to me, eyes on me, 
crossing the street without looking, a ghost only seeing me. What's up, fool? Hey, how's it going? Um, do you know, is there like, um, didn't do you, is there like an evil, uh, membrane that you have to pass through to get here? Ah, I see. Okay. Is this the Thompson Basketball Manufactory? We found it, Mato. This is the place. Welcome to hell, SA. You ready to die? At that moment, every part of me wanted to roll up my window and leave, pass through the far side of whatever shroud I was under, tell someone, tell anyone, let anyone else, someone with equipment, come deal with the nightmare I had passed into. But I thought about Jeff Boot, about the sadness of his fall, the sadness of his death, the almighty shit he had eaten, and about the shit I had eaten, and about how we are asked to eat shit and then die. I thought about 10th grade, when the Natural Law Party came to my high school to demonstrate their beliefs, expressed through yogic flying, and I thought about how those flyers looked to us, laughing, like weirdos hopping around on their knees. And I thought about how it would never be possible for me to know that those flyers weren't, at the abscess of their leap, in the ecstatic singular moment of unweightedness, experiencing an infinite, prolonged soaring. And I thought about whether Jeff Boot experienced that possible extension of the vanishing transience of time into infinite lonely suffering. Maybe he fell for a year. Maybe he is still falling. Alone. I thought about the membrane we work to wind around ourselves to protect our happiness. Good deeds, good words, recycle cans, pay taxes, show love in all sizes in all times. And I thought about how people can reach through that membrane and just kill us. And no one cares. And I thought about the ghost's question, about whether I was ready to die to find out who killed Jeff Boo. And I gave him my answer. You ready to die? Uh... I guess? Tune in in two weeks for part two of Who Killed Jeff Boot. Come on, come on, let me hear you say it. Hey, oh, say what? Hey, oh, say what? Can't get I check it out, you need dick in your life. Oh, come on, you need dick in your life. That's what you need, girl. Dick in your hey, life. that's what you need. Dick in your life. I break it down, and you need some dick, and you need some dick, and you need some dick, and you need some dick. You need dick in your life. All of us. Check it out, check it out. That shit I've been jumping your jeans. Hi, investigators. This is Geronimo, Mike's special computer assistant. Were you listening closely to Mike as he described his investigation? I hope so. To hear Mike make his weekly investigation report to me, and to access the extended uncut interview with Professor Monke about how stupid voyageurs were, make sure you subscribe on Patreon. See you in two weeks, investigators. Maybe we'll find out who made Jeff Boots' brain slide out. 